Hello, everyone. Welcome to Resource Families Thrive, a podcast by Stanford CR Youth and Families. This is Daniel, Resource Family Training Specialist in Pathways to Permanency, coming back as your host. Today, we're going to get a chance to speak with our program director. More on that in just a moment. Before we get started, do remember to like, comment, and share on all of our social media posts, anything to do with the podcast. Our goal here is to educate the community to really support people as they get to know what foster care means and how they can get involved to support our kids and families in the community. A little bit about who we are as we get started. Remember that Stanford Sierra Youth and Families is a merged organization and between the former agencies, we have over 150 years of combined experience. Those experiences span a very wide range. What it all comes back to is supporting kids and families in the greater Sacramento region. We've got contracts with at least 17 counties, and we provide a lot of different services. We provide family advocacy, juvenile justice intervention services, pre and post adoption, more mental health services, all sorts of stuff. Everything with the intention of supporting our mission transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so every child can thrive. I'm very proud of myself because I do recite that from memory. As I mentioned at the beginning, we are going to have a chance to talk with the program director of Pathways to Permanency today. It's my pleasure to have her on. I have worked with her pretty much my entire time, my full nine years at Stanford Sierra Youth and Families. Um, and so Yuri, I will let you take it away and tell everyone a little bit about yourself. So my name is Yuri Kimura and I am the program director for Pathways to Permanency and all the various multiple pathways to uh, permanency that we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, I've been at the organization for, it'll be 15 years this August. Um, started here as a case-carrying uh, FFA social worker um, and eventually uh, transitioned into uh, more of the management role. Um, in between doing uh, foster care work, I did have some time where I was also supervising in the uh, what was known as the Juvenile Justice and Crime Prevention Program, um, now JJIS. Um, working with um, adjudicated youth and youth who are uh, served by probation in Sac County. Um, so those have been kind of my experiences within the organization. Um, I had the opportunity to grow into a director within the um, JJCP program and then um, transitioned back into foster care and um I'm now overseeing the foster care adoption and destination family program. One of the reasons that I, I wanted to have you on is to speak about the program. You know, we're starting the new fiscal year and uh, as things have kind of gone through reshaping with our merger in 2019. Wow. So we are officially at the three year anniversary of the merge. Um, and just the changes across the board in foster care, even since continuum of care reform, resource family approval, all of these things we've talked about on previous podcast episodes. From your perspective, what is the past year, just looking at the past year, 
um, been like in foster care? And this could be globally speaking, um, or it could be specific to our program or a little bit of both. Sure. So, I mean, I think that um, one of the, the main things to understand about kind of what's going on in foster care um, now, and I think it has uh, been a topic of conversation over the years, but just a strong focus on um, prevention and um, family, family reunification. Um, if at all possible. That's always been kind of our, our message, but when we look at um, where funding is going and you know where the supports are, there's a lot more um, interest and uh, money's being put towards that prevention work and uh, whether it's family finding and you know how do we, how do we support um, youth being with their with their birth families, if at all possible? Like I said, but also if not, then you know our kinship families a possibility. So within our program, I think that um, the focus really has gone from um, just simply foster care um, or simply adoption to. Um, really continue the work that we've been doing on concurrent planning and having um, families come forward who are really open to doing that foster care piece um, to support youth to be able to go back to their families if at all possible and if not to be able to provide permanency through adoption. And so um, that concurrent planning piece is, 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 can be difficult, um, right? Because oftentimes we don't know um, necessarily with the trajectory of um, a young person's, uh, you know, family's case may be. Um, and um, that, you know, to be open to um, all the all the potential possibilities, so I would say that's kind of the, the big shift, and we've, we're seeing that um, you know federally as well um, with FFPSA, um, Families First Prevention Services Act, um, and uh, the implementation of that in California and in um, counties, um, really you know, from the beginning of CCR talking about not having kids um, stay in congregate settings and um, group home type settings for long term, that really those placements are intended to be short term um, uh, with the idea that youth can be in lower levels of care and family-based settings because that's what we know is best. There's, you know, over the past couple of years on the podcast, there are a few things that we have talked about, including labels that comes up a lot. And I think when we're talking about short-term residential therapeutic programs, uh, formerly just known as group homes or what we'd call congregate care, there's still this label that gets attached to kids and it's 
the group home kids, you know, the people still look at them and think of them as the group home kids. And the reality is they just need extra support. So we talk a lot about level of care, about different types of foster care. Where do you see the biggest needs right now? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think that within our community, the greatest needs right now are for older youth. And by older youth, um, I mean above, right, six and over school aged, in particular, um, teenagers. Uh, the, the number of times that, that we have to um, turn down a placement, um, say no to a referral because we don't have um, enough families to be able to serve and support teens um, is is too much um, for us. We are actively um, recruiting families who are wanting to um, really support teenagers, older youth, sibling sets, um, LGBTQ plus youth um, are, are probably the, the biggest needs. Um, SAC County is doing uh, a program. I, I, there may be other counties, but SAC County has a pretty significantly uh, large program for informal supervision, where maybe uh, the hotline gets called by a teacher or someone in the community expressing concern and an emergency response worker goes out. But instead of uh, removing the children immediately, if you know they they'll do their assessment and if they determine um, that there are uh, enough safety measures in place uh, they will provide resources and informal supervision to the family and with that i don't want to misquote but i believe that 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 program serves um i think there it's about 500 um youth that are not in foster care because of that. So what that means is, and uh, my understanding is, is that those youth tend to be um, younger and uh, that it's been a successful program. And with that, we know that then when emergency response does go out, and they make an assessment that the youth needs to be removed from the home, it's often because there are higher needs for uh, the youth and, and family. So we've been saying um, some of the, the language, you know, around it has been around youth with more complex needs. Um, we have an intensive services foster care program. I know you've talked about that in previous podcasts, but um, our biggest struggle right now is to find enough families to be able to serve the kinds of youth that we are uh, receiving referrals for. If you could wave a magic wand, what would your vision be for our program for, for Pathways to Permanency? Wave a magic wand and make it happen. I could wave a magic wand. We'd have 
people calling into our inquiry line um, regularly uh, and ready to jump in and expedite their approval process so that they could engage in all the various aspects of, of the program that we're working to grow in order to meet the needs of the community. And so um, we have therapeutic foster care, um, home-based shelter care, um, intensive services, foster care, uh, all these, um, you know, different ways we're partnering with um, different counties to look at what are ways in which we can serve these youth with um, with complex needs and kind of get in there and and do the our you know social workers are great at doing the clinical case management and um, really putting in all the supports to the families so that um, they can they can um, support the youth and help with stability. I think that you know we'd be a program that 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 does as much you know reunification as possible, and also right uh, the adoption piece and the kinship piece, right? Um, that we'd be able to serve all kinds of families in all kinds of ways, so that these youth don't have to be. Uh, in in care for extended periods of time, and that they can be with their forever families and and continue on with their with their lives. Yeah, it comes back to why we are pathways to permanency, right? We're not, you know, I, I noticed that you're not saying, oh yeah, that every youth would be adopted or every youth would be reunified or every youth would be placed with kinship. It's that every youth would find their pathway to permanency, whatever that looks like. Right. I mentioned, um, you know, uh, the destination family program uh, that we have in place for specific child specific recruitment. And I think about um, some of the, you know, the stories that I hear of, these young people who have maybe multiple barriers um, to, to permanency, that um, reunification is, is no longer often an option for them. And so uh, our youth permanency workers are working in all their various ways to find uh, connections, right? To, to dig into the files and find family members or, you know, other individuals that maybe a county social worker may not have reached out to. Um, but in all that, they also, you know, find and talk with the youth and find out that the youth is really into hockey or whatever, you know, baseball, basketball, whatever that, that sport is. And, uh, it's, it's, um, within um, destination family it could be that we're then talking with a coach about becoming a resource family uh, for this young person who they've had on their team. Um, maybe they didn't even know, right. What the youth circumstances were. And when they find out 
uh, realize that they want to be that permanent connection. And we've been able to link um, uh, non-related extended family members that way. Um, so yeah, I, how, whatever the pathway may be, um, I, I guess sometimes I grow concerned when uh, about the fact that we might have families say, no, I just really want to do adoption. I don't want to do foster care part of it. Uh, just let me, you know, um, just find a, a child for, for my family so that we can just have our family and, and move on. And that really is not, um, is that's, that's no longer what we're doing. Um, if we were doing that at all, it's, it's, really the foster to adopt, right? That we are ensuring that the youth has um, as, as few placements as possible and that if they can't return, then um, asking for the commitment for, for adoption. What you're what you're really talking about when you say, you know, we're not just doing straight adoptions anymore. Um, we're looking for these families that can do the foster care process. And if that ends in adoption, that's wonderful. But that's that comes back to that that phrase that we're using all the time, resource family. And I have said it numerous times through trainings, through orientation, probably in the podcast as well, that a resource family is not just a polished up name change. It is that families, what we're looking for are families who are resources to kids and other families in the community. And I think Absolutely. that's the, that's the yeah. difference. Yeah. And how is it that, that you can step up and, and be a resource for this, for this young child, uh, for this family at this critical time? Um, time and time again, it's been um, amazing to hear of the different ways in which our families have been resources to, to families. I always, you know, um, love hearing about that, that um, family to family connection. Um, oftentimes it's during transitions, uh, at supervised visitations or that family time that we support in our program where our young people um, come to our office or maybe a spot in the community and have that uh, family time with their, their biological family. Um, but it is our resource families who then might provide updates about what the young person ate or how they're doing in school or what movie they may have gone to see. Um, and um really, really supporting. Uh, we've had, I think you've talked about a couple different families, but I'm also thinking of uh, a family who, you know, took the time to ask the, the biological family, what kinds of hair products does your child use? Cause you know, their hair is amazing. And, um, and being able to exchange that information and so that the youth remained using the, the same um, hair products or attend the same uh, martial arts class or whatever it may be. You're not talking about like 
super world changing stuff when you're talking about that connection or that continuity. Mm-hmm. It's this is what the kiddo had for dinner, like those those little connections. Mm-hmm. I think when we talk about family to family connection, people are worried, like they they think that they have to know like the the main like the big epic things, how to talk to the child's birth family about about really grandiose things when it can really come down to what are their favorite hair products? You know, how do we keep this consistent? How do we help them to feel secure with us mm-hmm. so that also you will feel secure with us? That's what families helping families really looks at. Right. Mm-hmm. I think when it continues on um, in some cases after reunification, uh, we have had resource families that have become natural support um, for for those families, and maybe in a pinch, if uh, the birth parent needs support with childcare while they run out to a class or an appointment, uh, that sometimes our resource families are still able to support in that way. But uh, that's another part of that family-to-family work that I really um, I've seen over the years and really appreciate. And we've talked a little bit about some of the the touching aspects, the the little moments when families seem to connect with one another and everything. And I want to know if you've got any stories off the top of your head about something that just shone out for you as something just fun, bright, a laughable moment. I think, you know, uh, not necessarily a funny moment, but uh, I think that we are so privileged to be able to do this work with um, kids and families and to be able to um, have them allow us, right? Uh, in some ways, it's it's required that these visits are, are um, supervised, that this family time is observed or whatever it may be. Um, and, and I often think about how difficult it would be for me to engage with my siblings or my parents with an outside person, right? Sitting on the couch, just a few feet away or across the room. Um, but if I, I often, um, share the story of, uh, you know, a young person who was in care and, um, through family finding, they were able to locate, uh, a, a father who, um, was not aware that his son was in care. And so uh, because of the timing and county worker schedule and such, um, it ended up being me that was assigned to kind of facilitate the, the first meeting of the, the young, uh, young boy and his father. And um, what was amazing was that just coincidentally, they were both wearing khakis and uh, blue polo shirts. And so they were just kind of looking at each other and like, Oh, you look, you look like me. Um, and then, you know, just the, the, the youth was able to ask questions of, of 
his father and um, asked his father if like, you know, did you ever think about me? Did you, you know, what, what happened? Uh, I think were his questions. And um, his father was able to, you know, respond, of course, and show um, a tattoo of the youth's name and birthday on his, his arm. So I think that, um, you know, to be in the presence of, you know, moments like that, where we um, are witnesses to those maybe first-time exchanges of, of family members, I think is, is a powerful part of the work too. Why should I choose Stanford Sierra Youth and Families to become a resource parent? You should be a resource family with Stanford Sierra Youth and Families because we have a team of people that will support you from the very start to the very end. Because you'll have a team of people who will support you from the very beginning all the way through the process. So from the time that you submit your application um, to doing the family evaluation and home study process to then considering what kind of child might be coming into your uh, care and then supporting whatever that process may be, be it reunification, um, adoption, guardianship, kinship, we will be there for you. Ultimately, you have a choice in going to, you know, uh, the county, other agencies. Um, and if you want to do that, that's fine too. My interest is in increasing the number of resource families in the community. And so I encourage you to check out um, all the organizations, but also reach out to us and ask us questions. Um, resource families have my direct number and, um, call me as needed. Um, but we will, we will be there for you. Yeah. I always tell people they should shop around because they'll, they'll realize that we're the best anywhere. <laughs> and then I always have to remind them, but I'm not biased or anything. Yeah. Yuri, I, I always appreciate your time. It's always great to connect and catch up. So thank you again for being here. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate the work that you've been, uh, appreciate the podcast series that you've been continuing on. And for all of our listeners, remember to like, comment, and share on any of our social media posts, but especially those having to do with the podcast. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, our goal is to really get this information out into the community to teach people how they can make a difference and more importantly, how they can get started, how they can get involved. You can always reach out to our main Sacramento office at 916-368-5114 or our Grass Valley office 530 and you can always gather more information from our website, ssyaf.org. And until we talk to you again, keep thriving. <laughs>